We're going to be talking about unity this morning. And before I get into the actual message, I just want to lay out a couple parameters of what I'm talking about in terms of unity. You know, unity means way more than just union. They use the word union up there. I I don't really like that word. You know, that things can be in union. You know, just because we're all in the same room together doesn't mean we're in unity. Union doesn't always bring unity. Uh, A a picture you've probably heard before is you take two cats and tie their tails together and hang over a clothesline. They're in union. But there is no unity. And sometimes groups of people in the same place, same group, can, can be a lot like that. But when there is union or when there is real unity, there is strength and power. One more cartoon. It's Peanuts cartoon, Peanuts characters. You know, Lucy. Lucy likes to be a little bossy. And Linus is watching TV and Luna's, Lucy walks in and she walks right up to the TV and turns the channel and goes and sits down to watch what she wanted to watch and And Lioness says, what makes you think you can come in here like that and just take over? And she says, these five fingers. (laughs) Individually, they're nothing. When I would curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that's terrible to behold. Lioness looks at her and says, which channel do you want? And then he walks away and he turns and looks at those fingers. He says, why don't you guys ever act like that? Somehow there's a picture of the church in there for me. You know, the church has the power and the, the command and the calling and the commissioning to be that kind of dynamic power on the earth today. That's what we're called to be. And it takes unity. Now, it takes unity amongst Christians, the church. When I say the church and, and Christians, I hope you all understand what I mean. The body of Christ, believers. Not denominations. I don't care about the denominations. Christians make up Christ's church. And when they would be in unity, there'd be tremendous power. Well, we can only impact that so much in our own sphere of influence, but it also there's a unity within the body in a particular church, in this church, that can be powerful. There's a couple of things about unity I want us to understand in addition to what I've said so far, that unity does include, does include diversity. Just because we're in unity doesn't mean we all walk and talk and look and smell the same, Right? We're all different, and that's okay. We don't all have to be clones of one another. However, unity doesn't come at all costs, okay? There are certain things that will separate us from the world, for example. There are certain things that the world would say we need to tolerate, set aside our own beliefs, and come into unity. Well, there are certain things that we cannot compromise on as Christians, You know, Jesus is the only Son of God and He is the only way to the Father. That's a given. The world may not like it, but that's one of those things we can't compromise. And there are a number of other essentials of the Word of God that we can't compromise on. But there are a lot of non-essentials that, you know what, we don't need to argue and fight about, especially amongst ourselves. So there are some things, and as I discuss some of the things we need to do and ways we need to live, remember, there are some essentials as well. Primarily what I'm talking about today are the non-essentials. Because more often than not, it is the non-essentials of the faith that cause disunity in the church, in the body of Christ. We argue over the silliest things. Not saying we, meaning you and me, of course. We would never do that. But a lot of churches do. A lot of people do. Carpet colors, brands of coffee, 
I could go on and on. We laugh at those silly things, and churches split over those things. And they wonder why the church has no power. So we're going to be looking at unity. And the unity slide, the title up there, Passionate Hearts Committed to a Shared Vision Can Accomplish the Impossible. Now, the world might say that same thing, but they don't get it. They can't accomplish the impossible because they don't have the God of the impossible. The church can accomplish the impossible or what looks impossible because our God is a supernatural God. He is the God of the impossible. So for us as a church, passionate hearts, committed to a shared vision, building the kingdom of God, promoting the kingdom of God, seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, discipling them that they might become disciples and win others to Christ. All, we get it behind that vision with a passion. Man, alive. You know, some people might, might quietly snicker when I say, I believe, the church leadership believes, that we as Victory Christian Church can change the spiritual atmosphere of southwestern Minnesota. Yeah, really? Yeah, we can. I believe that. I believe we can. I believe we're called to do that. That's part of our calling. How can we do that? When we are in unity, when we have a passion to see that vision, see the kingdom of God glorified. It's all about him, right? You know, I shared last week briefly some of the things that as leaderships we've been looking, looking at in the church, anticipating and believing that God is growing this particular church here. For a reason. Oftentimes in spite of us. Praise God. It's his church. But we want to make sure that we are on the same page as best we possibly can. And the best way to do that is be led by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4.1, just to read part of the scripture, Paul is writing this to the church at Ephesus and he's reminding them of something. And he's reminding us of something. And it's simply this. Walk worthy of the calling that which you have been called. We are to walk worthy of our calling. Now, I'm not talking about a specific calling that you might have on your life. I'm talking in a general sense. He has called us. He has chosen us as his children. And he has called us and he has given us the Holy Spirit to transform us into the image of Christ. Our calling is to live and represent Christ. Big job. Big job. But that's our calling. We're called to walk in in the freedom and the liberty, but also with the love and the compassion and all of the fruit of the Holy Spirit manifest in our lives to fulfill that calling, to live a life like Christ. So if you like a challenge, Paul just gave us one. That's your calling. He saved you to live a life like Christ. It's interesting. We're called like that. We talk about unity. But in, in what the Bible often refers to or we've referred to as, as one of Jesus' his high priestly prayer found in John, the Gospel of John, he, when he talks about unity here, he doesn't just say be united. He gives a purpose for unity. And now there are many other purposes, but I want to read in John chapter 17, starting at verse 20. And I'm reading from the NIV this time. It says, my prayer is not for them alone. Now, this is Jesus speaking and teaching. My prayer for that is not for them alone, meaning his disciples that are there in his presence. But I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Unity. Father, just as you and I, you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Why? So that the world 
may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. What was the glory that he gave Jesus? To be one with the Father. The Father and I are one, and I am giving that same glory to them, that they may be one like we are one. And he goes on and says, I have given that glory, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and you've loved them even as you love me. Being in unity sends a message to the world. Now, you don't have to get around people in the world too much or too long to hear them start talking about negative things about the church if the topic comes up at all. You churches are always fighting about something. You churches can't get along with each other. You churches, you churches, you churches. I went to a church one, and all they did was criticize everybody else. They don't have to hang around. That's what we hear, where there's not unity, where there's not purpose. We're not one. We are not one with one another or with God. And he says, I want this kind of unity that the world may know, that they'll believe that Jesus was sent for us. Isn't that interesting? Our unity will help convince the world that Jesus Christ was sent for us, that he came and died for us, to transform us, to change us, to make us one in spirit. It's interesting to me that Jesus had to pray that prayer. That tells me at least a couple of things. One, that unity is really, really important, right? Amen? Two, it must be hard. It must be difficult if Jesus has to pray that prayer for us. And when I look at it, brings me to a scripture in Luke, and you can find another one in Matthew. I'm just going to read the one in Luke 17. Again, Jesus is doing the talking. And then he says unto the disciples, it is impossible, or you could use the word, it is inevitable, that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It would be better for him that a millstone was hung around his neck and he was cast into sea that he should offend one of those little ones. So on one hand, he's telling us how important unity is. He's telling us the purpose of unity. And it's, it's only done through Christ by his spirit. And it's an expectation that he has of his church. And then he says, but you know what? It's impossible that offenses aren't going to come. Anybody here ever been offended by anyone in this room? Anybody ever offended anyone in this room? Or anywhere else for that matter? What in the world? How come? We're Christians. We're not supposed to do that. Offenses will come. So he's telling us up front, be ready. Why? Be careful. Be watchful. So that you don't give offense and you don't take offense. How can I ever act that way? How can I ever be like that? Well, there's a four-letter word that really helps a lot. It's called love. Love. Do not offend. Why is it so inevitable that offenses come? Well, the depravity of man. You know, are you surprised when somebody who's not a Christian offends you? (laughs) You shouldn't be. Expect it. Be surprised when they don't. If you expect it, it won't offend you. Just because they give offense doesn't mean we have to take offense. There's two sides to that issue. 
Whenever an offense is given, we have an opportunity to choose. Am I going to be offended by that or am I going to not be offended by that and let it go and love them anyway? That's what the world, especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, there's still that old nature we're trying to work through. We are new creatures in Christ. We have this ability. We don't have to act this way anymore. But we got a lot of old habits to break. We got a lot of old strongholds that need to come down so that we wouldn't take offense. You know, just let go of anything that offends us. It's hard to do that when we are battling certain... We sang about walls. God, tear down these walls. You know, if I have, a, if I have this stronghold, if I'm believing this lie that, that somehow I'm worthless, I'm not smart, I carry around shame, man alive, if somebody says something, if it, it happens to prick one of those areas, I'm instantly offended. We got to get rid of that stuff, repent of that stuff, give it to the Lord so that we don't take offense. It's a full-time job. Not taking or not giving offense. And especially, there's a responsibility for mature or more mature believers when it comes to new believers. We believe that God is going to bring in and continue to bring in new believers. People that are going to come out of a lifestyle in the world, deeply immersed in it, and they're going to discover the love of Jesus Christ and a knowledge of the sacrifice that he made for their sins, and God's going to save them. And hopefully, we believe he's going to bring a lot of them into our body, and we're going to be part of them getting saved. He's going to let us be a part of what he wants to do. But guess what? It's going to be messy. It'd be nice if instant transformation took place when salvation took place, but it doesn't. People are going to be, we're all at different stages of maturity right now. Some areas we have it nailed pretty well, other areas we're not so good. And that includes every single one of us in this room, including and maybe especially me. We have areas that they need to be changed. We need to give that to the Lord and we need to allow him to transform those areas of our life. But we need to realize God's going to bring in people. And there's going to be all kinds of opportunities to be offended by them and to offend them. You know, it's amazing, and and I've said this before, and a lot of you have experienced it. You know, people may come, somebody may say, hey, you should really go out to that church and, and talk to Pastor Mike. Or they may come to a Most Excellent Way meeting and talk to Pastor Bob or Ryan. And whatever happens, all of a sudden, you know what, I need to go to church, but I don't have any good clothes. I can't come to your church. Now, why would they say that? Because there's a lot of churches, you've got to dress right to walk in the door. There's a lot of expectations, and many of them are, are false that people believe. But all it takes is one thing like that, and, and people that don't know, we can push them away from growing in the Lord. And I don't think anybody here wants to do that. Our pride can get in the way. All of the things of the world, pet doctrines can get in the way. I'll touch on that a little later. But I mean, some of us have pet doctrines that are so not essential to the Christian faith, but that's all we want to talk about and shove down somebody else's throat. 
How do you like that when somebody does that to you? I know I don't like it. Why would we try to do that to a brother in Christ, especially a new brother or sister in Christ? Put your pet doctrines between you and the Lord and don't bring them out for the rest of us to have to endure. I want to take a deeper word and look at a word, and I've done this before here, so some of the people that have been around a while have seen this word before, but the word is scandalon. When I read that scripture, where in some translations it's translated offenses, others it's translated stumbling box, whatever it's translated to, it came from that word, scandalon. And the scandalon, go ahead and, and go to the next slide, I believe. There you go. It's the center part of that trap. They call it a scandalon. Why? Because that's where you set the bait. And that's the part of the trap. That not only do you set the bait there, that's the part of the, the trap that triggers the trap and ensnares whatever it is that we're trying to catch. And he's telling us those scandalons, those traps are going to come. It's inevitable that they will. When you look at that, the meaning of the word includes the enticement or the occasion for someone to sin. Now, you and I may think, well, I'm not going to make anybody sin. No, we can't make them do anything, but we can sure give them opportunity we'd like to avoid. Part of our problem is we have a wrong idea of what sin is. You know, if I offend someone and they pick up bitterness, they've just sinned because of me. If I say something to them about the way they look or dress or smell and they experience shame, that becomes their sin. Why? Because that's not what God says about them. That's not who they are. He died for their freedom. There are so many things that we don't think about as sin, but when we say we offend somebody, we're causing them to sin. We're bringing great harm to them. Should they pick up an offense? No, but they're not mature enough maybe to know that. Shoot, I'm not mature enough all the time to know that. When I pick up an offense. But it includes the occasion to, to cause someone, to provide opportunity for someone to do anything that's going to lead to some sort of ruin in their spiritual life, maybe even cause them to turn away from God. I bet we could all tell a story. If we've talked to people about church and Christ, we could all come up with a story about someone who turned away from God for the most ridiculous reason you can imagine. Somebody did something, somebody said something, they weren't welcomed somewhere, and they turned away from God because of an offense that should be or could have been easily avoided. We do not want to be the giver of an offense, but it's rampant in the body of Christ. It's common in the body of Christ. And I believe primarily because so much in the body of Christ, there's a lack of love and compassion. We need to love people where they're at. What's John 3.16 say? Most of us have memorized that at one time or another. For God so loved the world, and he gave his only begotten son. When? After we earned his love, after we deserved his love, after we dressed right, after we walked right, after we gave away all the bad habits we had? Heck no. He loved us while we were just like that. That's how we're supposed to love people. We're to have that kind of love and that kind of compassion. You know, if God's drawing them, if God saves them, what right do we have to, to interfere with the non-essentials? There will be plenty of time. Legalism, a religious spirit, 
critical spirit, all of this junk that comes out of pride will drive people away. And these offenses are so damaging. You know, it will hinder people, hinders us. When we pick up an offense, it hinders us from knowing Jesus intimately because it becomes our sin. And it also hinders us serving him effectively. There are are countless Christians trapped because of offenses. Snared because of offenses. And the devil's wonderful at using them. Usually we blame him. He just takes the trap we've set and puts more bait on it for the people that are going to get ensnared or that he's trying to ensnare. Offenses sever relationships. Anybody ever experienced that? I offend. They pick up an offense. The relationship is damaged or maybe even destroyed. It's amazing what how much easier it is if we don't offend in the first place. And then we need to be quick to repent when we do, to receive forgiveness. Offenses prevent us from operating in our calling. God has gifted us and called us. You know, it does say in the Bible that Jesus was an offense to many. But realize this, Jesus never offended anybody except when he was speaking truth ministering truth, obeying the Father, when he was teaching people, healing people, raising people from the dead, showing compassion to what the world thought were the undesirables. We're going to be that kind of offense to the world if we're walking like Christ. But that's not the kind of offense that we're talking about. There are differences, and differences cause conflict. As I said earlier, we've all been Christians for different periods of time. We're maturing at different rates. We, we come from really different backgrounds, different family environments. We have different life experiences. It's always exciting when someone shares a testimony and everybody else goes, wow, I would have never dreamt that's what they lived through. And yet we're supposed to come together as one and be in unity. In Ephesians 4, 2 and 3, it gives us a, a picture. And I'm not going to develop this much, but I just want to read this a little bit. It says, humility. How do we do this? With humility, with gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance, putting up with one another in love, and being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Paul says here, this is the attitude you've got to start with if you're going to walk without giving offense. And notice it says at the end, be diligent, because it doesn't come easy. We get sloppy. We get lazy. And Paul goes on in Romans, and I could spend a long, long time in Romans chapter 14. So I didn't even put it on the screen, I don't think. But I'm going to just kind of give a capsule of Romans chapter 14. Paul, I love practical. Okay, so we're not supposed to give offense. I get it, sort of. What do you, how, do, how does that work out daily in our lives? Well, in, in chapter 14, Paul says, here, let me tell you what that looks like. And he uses some examples. He uses examples of eating certain foods. The Jews and the Gentiles, going back to Bible time, they, you know, they had a little different attitude about what you could and couldn't eat. Um, what day? One day is more important than the other. What are we supposed to do with these days, different days? Whether it's a Sabbath or a feast day or whatever. Um, then he uses an example that seems a little strange until you think about it. He, says, he talks about judging another 
master's servants. And we might say, well, we don't have that problem today. We don't have masters and servants. Yes, we do. Jesus is our master. We're all servants. We judge a lot of people that belong to him, not us. So just going to kind of paint with a real broad stroke here some of you of Romans chapter 14. And again, remember, Paul is writing this to the church. And he says things like that, except those who are weak in the faith. Except those that are new believers, they're babies in Christ, accept them with whatever they bring. Don't judge. Don't rush to change their views and opinions. You know, <laughs> you know we, we, this church was birthed about almost 30 years ago now. And there's still the people in this community that are offended by some of the dumb things some of us in here did 30 years ago. The things we said. Some of it they've taken totally out of context. Some of it they don't... I don't think anybody ever said. I mean, I still have people that come to say, did you know you've got to give 20% to be in this church? I kind of like that rule. <laughs> but it's not a rule. It's not true. You can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't chew and hang around with people that do. Okay, all of you that drink, smoke, or chew, leave. No, don't. I still want to, I don't want to be alone. I have this fear of being alone. You know, there are so many things so many things that are none of my business. If God is their master, let him deal with people. Be patient with them. Be long-suffering with them. He is with me and he is with you. Don't accept. Differing opinions based on different beliefs. Now remember, I'm talking about the non-essentials. Okay, not the essentials of the faith. But you know what? I really don't give a rip when you think the rapture is going to occur, whether you think it's going to occur at all. I believe what I believe. And Paul says, know what you believe. And know why you believe it. And then keep your mouth shut. That's kind of what he says. I might have added a little. But he says, why in the world would I argue with somebody who's a new believer about any of that stuff? Once saved, always saved. No, you can lose your salvation. I don't care what you believe. I know what I believe, and I know what I'll teach you if you ask me. In either case, they're in trouble. Let's offend them so they don't find the truth and get right with the Lord. There are so many things in our pet doctrines, our beliefs that are different from one another. And he just says, don't judge them. They're not the essentials. He talks about the reality that God's accepted them. You know, he says, if God accepted those Gentiles, you know, he's talking to Jewish brothers, he says, if God accepted those Gentiles, can't you? If God accepted me, can't, he, can't you accept them? Just the way they are? Think back to how quickly you became mature in Christ. I can hardly wait till it happens in my life. You know, so who in the world are we to judge on so many of the non-essentials? He goes so far as to say, you know, on some of these non-essentials, your position is totally irrelevant. Just believe what, know what you believe. You know, it's, it's, you know, most of us, or at least I'm, I shouldn't say most, because you don't all think like I do, even though you should. (laughs) Just kidding. When you look at all of these essentials, I love having discussions 
or debates or arguments. But I want to make sure, first of all, I know the other people well enough to know where they're at, so I'm not going to hurt and offend. And we can have a good, healthy debate. But I really don't have time for those debates and arguments when all you want to tell me about is what you think or feel. I want you to be able to show me what the Word of God says and why you think that. And we can argue and debate and and come to a place where maybe we just walk away and say, you know what, we just got to agree to disagree. And that's okay. Because believe it or not, there are some of those things in the Word of God. Because He doesn't tell us everything as clearly as we think He does sometimes. But know who you're going to be debating with, talking to about those things, so that we don't become an offense. Paul goes on in the last half of chapter 14, and again he he reminds us not to judge people. Don't judge. Don't judge. Don't judge. Don't judge. Now we can get defensive and say, well, what are we supposed to do? Remember, I'm talking about the non-essentials. I'm talking about the non-essentials. He says, don't judge, judge yourself. I hate it when he points his finger at me. Don't judge others, just judge yourself. It's a good place to start. Evaluate. What will the impact of the words I might want to say right now do to that person? Judge yourself. Be careful. That whole stumbling block thing. You know, Paul goes on and says things like, don't destroy destroy your brother or sister who Christ died for. That's getting serious now. He died for them. Be careful so that you don't destroy them. Don't hinder them. He says, don't let your good thing be spoken of as evil. Isn't that weird? Sometimes Paul says things, don't let your good thing be spoken of as evil. You know, if you truly believe something, and you believe it's founded on the Word of God, that's a good thing. But you try to force that on everybody else and they start talking about your good thing as an evil thing. Don't set yourself up so that your good thing would be talked about as evil. He goes on and he's talking, he says, the kingdom of God is not food, for example. He uses food. But you and I can put our pet doctrine in there. Or whatever it is that we like to argue about or we think everybody should agree to. It's not that, but it's righteousness, it's peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Putting aside your lifestyle and opinion, Paul hammers that one. Verse 18 of that chapter, he says a lot in one verse. Put aside your lifestyle opinion and don't force it on others. Do you know anybody who likes to do that to you? If you don't, you hang around with me for a while. I'd like to share my opinion with you. And it gets old. Go ahead, kids. Say amen. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) Let God deal with their lifestyles. Let God deal with their opinions. He might even end up using you to deal with their lifestyle or their opinions if you haven't already ruined that relationship. Don't tear down the work of God for the sake of your pet doctrine or whatever else falls into that non-essential category. I wrote this down and I just 
maybe because I liked it. But in verses 22 and 23, here's what I took home from it. Whatever you believe about the non-essentials, keep between you and God. Do what you believe is right before God. If you do what you doubt and it's not done in faith, don't do it. It's sin. And if you want to take some time and read chapter 14 of Romans and ask God to show you what it is. We don't relate to maybe arguing about what foods you can or can't eat or what days you can and can't do this, that, or the other thing on. Or we don't get our eye on the other man's servants or slaves and criticize whatever. You know what came to my mind on that? I love to point out the errors in your children. But maybe that's not my job. It's kind of like the master's thing. When we have relationship with people, when we don't offense, offend, and when people know that we have compassion and love towards them, it's amazing how you can speak into their lives. They will come to you and they will seek you out. If you're a more mature Christian or they think you've got something of the Lord that can help them, they will seek you out if they know you love them and have compassion. And I believe that's what we really need to take home from this is, you know, God will use us. He will use us if we don't ruin the relationships first. Remembering that they're all God's children, we're all God's children. And we want to build one another up, edify one another. I want to close with the scripture in Romans, chapter 15, verses 5 to 7. It says this. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another than just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Jesus accepted us while we were condemned and his enemies. We need to be able to accept people and love people, show compassion toward people, that God may rescue them too. And he might even use us. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray that we as a body of Christ would be as one. Father, that we would be united by your Holy Spirit. There is only one God. There is only one Son, Jesus Christ. There is only one Holy Spirit. There is only one Word. There's only one body and Jesus is the head. God, that we may be submitted to those truths, realize those truths, and be united by your Holy Spirit. God, that we would be that powerful weapon that you desire the church to be to pierce the darkness, and to bring light that the kingdom of God may expand. God, that lives may be transformed into the very image of Christ. That we would see people rescued continually by the truth, the gospel of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would reveal to us any areas of our life where we might have a tendency to be an offense. And God, I pray you would help us to see those areas of our life where we need to mature, that we would not pick up an offense. God, that we would see things from your perspective and that we would truly walk in the love and compassion that you have for us. Lord, we ask this, that you would receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.